Good to be together today to worship the Lord. And as you probably know, there's been a sermon series called Choices that's been going on. And today I'm talking about another choice. My topic is meeting God in a cave. And as we've gone through the different stories that Pastor Sean has shared with us, just to give you some review of 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 16, pardon me, 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 16, and I'm not going to read the scripture to you, but I'm going to summarize for you what it says. Because 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 16 gives us some insight into Saul's behavior after David killed Goliath. Remember last week's sermon was on when David killed Goliath with five smooth smooth stones and his slingshot. And we also may see what, why Saul is motivated to kill David as a result of this passage. In verse 5 in 1 Samuel 18, it says, David went out wherever Saul went, or I'm sorry, wherever Saul sent him, and he prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. So David prospered in his serving. He prospered as a man of war, and Saul gave him other added responsibilities as a result. And then in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7, it says, The women sang this song, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. What? Well, it's nice of you to sing about Saul sending his, slaying his thousands, but David his ten thousands. What would that do in Saul? Would that stir up some jealousy? Would that stir up some competition? Would that stir up some animosity? Don't answer that question out loud. But if somebody was singing about somebody else and how he'd killed ten times as many as you'd killed, wouldn't that perhaps stir up something in you? Or maybe we're not talking about killing unless it's maybe deer or how many fish you caught versus somebody else, how many fish somebody else caught. Um, And then in verse 8, it says, Saul became very angry for the saying displeased him. That song that the woman sang displeased him. And verse 9, Saul became very angry, and he looked at David with suspicion from that day on. And then verse 10 tells us, an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of his house. Now, we're not going to unpack that verse today, but just hear what it says. An evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he raved. He was a madman in his house. And verse 12, Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So this is all reasons that Saul would be angry at David, all reasons why Saul would want to take David's life. And verse 29 tells us Saul was David's enemy continually constantly, every day. And by the way, just to add something else to the mix, 
David married Saul's daughter, Michal. So Saul is David's father-in-law, not to mention his archenemy. So it's complicated. So that's a little background as to why Saul is acting the way he's acting. But then we're going to pick up, I'm going to summarize from 1 Samuel 23. And if you want to take a look there, we're going to, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize if you go down to verse 14 in 1 Samuel 23. And basically, it's the story of Saul chasing David, cat and mouse, chasing him around the countryside. So to summarize verses 14 through 18, Saul sought to kill David. David and his men stayed in the stronghold in the wilderness of Ziph. While there, Jonathan made a trip to encourage his friend David. Don't be afraid, David. But if you're in a stronghold in a wilderness, then that means the the mountains and the caves and the canyons will help in your defense against your enemy. So, So because David was in this place, that helped him, and it made it harder for Saul to get him. Does that make sense? A stronghold a place of safety, the wilderness of Ziph, Z-I-P-H. That's, that's not a word you hear all the time, is it? Ziph, I went to Ziph yesterday. Well, it's in Scripture. And remember, Saul's son is Jonathan. And Jonathan is David's friend. What? The king's son is a, is a friend of his archenemy? Yes. And Saul and Jonathan were tight. I'm sorry. Jonathan and David were tight. Tight friends. And Jonathan tells David, don't be afraid. So speaking of Ziph, in verses 19 through 26, the Ziphites, that's what you are if you're from Ziph, You're a Ziphite. So the Ziphites gave Saul a heads up. Hey, hey Saul, we wanted you to know something. We wanted to give you some inside information. David is hiding in the caves of Ziph. Hmm, thanks guys for letting me know. So... David then fled to the wilderness of Maon. That's kind of like Ziph. Maon. It's not man. It's not moan. You want to say moan. It's in the the wilderness of moan. No, it's the wilderness of Maon. So Saul found out about that. So he went to Maon to look for David. Do you see how there's a chase going on here? A steady chase. And Saul continued to operate under the false assumption that David was his enemy. But David was not Saul's enemy. Some of the real enemies 
were the Philistines. So verse 26 in chapter 23 says this, Saul went on one side of the mountain with a large army. David and his men were on the other side of the mountain with a much smaller group of men. One side of the mountain, the other side of the mountain. David hurried to get away from Saul. Saul and his men were trying to surround David to capture him. And by the way, the number of men that Saul had was probably around 3,000. The number of men that David had was around 600. Saul had five times the number of men that David did. In verses 27 through 29, we're told that God protected David a messenger came, a messenger just happened to come and tell Saul that the Philistines are raiding in the land. So Saul stopped chasing David to go after the Philistines. I'd call this one of those circumstances where God works in unusual ways to protect David and his coming kingdom. God worked in an unusual way to distract Saul away from chasing him so that Saul would chase after the Philistines some and David would be able to flee and go to another stronghold of Engedi. Have you ever heard of Engedi? So the story continues. In chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. And if my projectionist in the booth could just project the first couple of verses there, thank you. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 and 2. And it says this. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines... He was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats, which was another name for En Gedi. Now, this place, En Gedi, you've heard of the Dead Sea. Right? In Israel. The lowest place on earth. All around the Dead Sea are canyons, cliffs, dry, hot, barren lands. Lowest place on the earth. One of those canyons and cave areas is in Gedi. So David was in the wilderness and in the caves of En Gedi. David and his 600 men. And someone gave Saul a heads up that David was there, as we saw in verse 1. Somebody keeps telling Saul about what's going on with David, a spy. 
Verse 2 says that Saul took 3,000 chosen men to seek David in that place. And we were told in 1 Samuel 22, you can read that on your own time, that at first David had 400 men. And 1 Samuel 22 verse 2 tells us they consisted of people that were in distress, in debt, or discontented. That sounds like a mighty army, doesn't it? The discontents, those in distress, in debt. And by 1 Samuel 23 verse 13, the number rose from 400 to 600. But David was outnumbered five to one. That's pretty strong. So David's in a fix. He's in a cave. He's surrounded. There are 3,000 rabid soldiers outside looking for him, ready to kill him for Saul. So put a little pause there. Put a little pause there. And we're going to look at another place in Scripture. We're going to look at Psalm 57. And if you would turn in your Bible to Psalm 57, please. We're going to look at a psalm that David probably wrote while he was in this dire situation. Psalm 57. Notice the top of, your, of the psalm. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time he fled from Saul and went into the cave to be sung to the tune, Do Not Destroy. You know that song? Have you heard that one? I, I haven't either. Um, but anyhow, here's the first six verses. The first, I'm, I'm going to read the whole psalm to you and go back. Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, among the highest, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the people. I will sing your praises 
among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Let's go back and look at this psalm bit by bit and understand more of what David was saying. Look at verse 1 with me. God, have mercy on me. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. Rescue me. This This is not David sitting in a family room in a comfortable house somewhere in Pasquotank County. This is David in a dire situation, in a cave, in the lowest place on the earth, in a dry and hot and weary land, surrounded by 3,000 men. This is called duress. And, And he also says in that psalm, I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. This, to me, conjures up images of baby eagles hiding under the wings of mama eagle or father eagle or of baby owl hiding under the wings of mama owl or daddy owl for protection, for food, for grace. And this is what David was thinking about as he called out to God in this way. I look to you for protection. And then in verse 2 of this psalm, where David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose in me. David was very honest with God, and he cried out to God for help. God, he was confident, God will save me. And then in verse 3, David says, he will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. Who are those who were hounding him? Saul and his army. He will send from heaven to rescue. He is faithful. And and again, David is looking beyond the dire situation, looking to God for help. And then we go down to, to the next three verses. So in the first three verses, David is pouring out his heart. He's expressing the anxiety that he felt, and he's asking God for help. But in verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 57, David confesses his trust in God in the middle of trouble. Have you ever been there? God, I trust you in the middle of this trouble I'm facing. Verse 4, I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey. That's what he was comparing Saul and Saul's army to. Fierce lions. Verse 5, God be exalted in the midst of my distress. God be exalted in the midst of my distress. Above the highest heavens. Well, there's earth and there's heaven, and then there's above the highest heavens. God, you be exalted way up there, 
above everything. Above everything, because you are great. And may your glory, Lord, shine upon the earth in fullness. May the, the presence of your power and your holiness shine upon me, for I am in distress. They've set a trap for me, and their weapons are ready to attack me. Look at verse 6. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. It's like, it's like walking on the beach. Have you ever walked on the beach and not paid attention to where you're walking and somebody dug a hole on the beach and you go, whoop, down in the hole? You ever, you ever had that happen? Well, sometimes my kids were the ones that dug the hole. And, but now they have rules at the beach that say, Fill in your holes at night so that people don't fall into them. Just picture that. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they fell into it. But David goes on in verse 7. And he says, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. He's reflecting on the Lord, and he's trusting in God in the middle of the danger. Verse 8, David exhorts himself to wake up and sing to the Lord. Wake up, my heart. Be aware. Be alert. Look alive. Wake up, lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn for my song. You know, I was reflecting on that phrase, I will awake the dawn To me, if you're going to awake the dawn, you have to get up before the dawn, don't you? And go, come on, dawn, time to wake up. Come on. So you got to get up real early to awaken the dawn. Anybody here get up before dawn, before to go to work, to go on a trip at zero dark 30? Getting up early. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm going to be there when that orange ball cracks the horizon. And I see that orange ball begin to lift above the horizon. And I begin to know the presence of God. The hand of God is on me today because I'm awakening the dawn and he is with me. He is my rock. He is faithful another day. He is with me today. For your unfailing love, verse 10, is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. I'm the kind of guy who gets up early and takes my dog on a walk most mornings down to the shores of the Pasquotank River, and I look, and I'm there when the sun is coming up, and I see that the the glow on the horizon of that orange ball just about to pop up over that horizon, and I stay long enough, and there it comes up over the horizon, and I get my camera, and I take a picture. God is faithful every new day. His unfailing love to you and to me is faithful every day. He was faithful to David. He is faithful to you and me. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Well, 
something good happened in that cave to David. Based on the words of this psalm, wouldn't you agree with that? I don't hear David going, oh my, oh my, what am I going to do? He's going to get me. Oh my, it's all over. Throw in the towel. I'm dead meat. The Lord met with David in the cave. The Lord touched him. David's focus was not on the danger. David's focus was on the Lord's goodness, his love, and his faithfulness, his daily faithfulness. God, you were faithful to me yesterday. I will trust you to be faithful to me today and tomorrow. So David met with God in the cave. You see where this sermon is going? The Lord gave David a fresh perspective. Now with that in mind, I'm asking you to turn back to 1 Samuel 24. And look at verse 3 in 1 Samuel 24. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. What? David came to the sheepfolds by the road, and just a little background on that, at night shepherds in that wild area would gather their sheep into a protective rock enclosure, a low stone wall that would keep the sheep from wandering. The shepherd would position himself at the entrance of the sheepfold to guard against wild animals that wanted to eat the sheep and from thieves that would want to steal the sheep. So Saul went into the cave by the sheepfolds by the road. Now here's my explanation of what the scripture says to relieve himself. He either went in to cover his feet and take a nap in the coolness of the cave or to do something else. Apparently, most scholars believe he took a nap in the cave. You can draw your own conclusions about what Saul was doing in the cave. But also, in verse 3, David was hiding in the same cave, only further back in the recesses of the cave. So when you and I hear the word cave... We might think about Luray Caverns in Virginia. You ever been to Luray Caverns in Virginia? Or Dixie Caverns or Endless Caverns or places like that? Where there's stalactites and there's stalagmites. And they said the stalagmites might reach the stalactites. Or sometimes in the caves that you and I have been in, there's well-lit paths. There are colorful lights that brighten up pools of water. 
or maybe a few bats flying around inside the cave. Or, if you don't think about places like Luray Caverns, maybe Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. Anybody ever been to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico? Well, me too. Um, when I was a kid living in New Mexico, when my dad was in the Army, uh, we went there. And just before dusk each night, thousands of bats flew out of the mouth of the caverns off to find food during the night because bats feed and fly around at night. It was quite a sight to watch. So you may think about Luray Caverns, you may think about Carl's Bad Caverns, or you may have been to Israel, and you may have been to En Gedi. Anybody ever been to En Gedi? Me too. Um, the climate there is hot and dry, and springs run out of the caves and create pools of water. I went to En Gedi in 1979 on a hot 110-degree day. We had just been to the Dead Sea, which is, laying in the Dead Sea is like laying in nothing you would ever believe. The salt content in the Dead Sea is incredible, and so you don't lay in the water, you lay on the water, because it lifts you up so much. So we went from the Dead Sea, we went then to En Gedi to cool off. And the pool of water and the spring was very refreshing to me. So that's in Gedi. That's where David was hiding in one of these caves next to the lowest place on earth. We don't know whether it was hot, but it was barren and he was surrounded. So look at verse, look at verse 4 and look at verses 4 through 7. So David's men say this, Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way. So there you have it, verses 4 through 7. So David's men were probably whispering to him, Come on, David, now's your chance. You can take him out. But David, the man after God's own heart, said, Do not, do not touch God's anointed. And David did not seize the kingdom then, but he waited for it to be given to him. He would not kill Saul. He just cut off a corner of his robe. And by doing this, David staked his claim to the kingdom that day. And as he removed a piece of Saul's robe, 
he felt a guilty conscience, as if he'd, been, he'd done too much, he'd gone too far. He respected that Saul was still God's anointed king and that he must not hurt him. Plus, the timing of the kingdom going from Saul to David needed to happen in God's way, God's timing, not by David or his men striving. David did not want to take the shortcut. And so in verse 7, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to to rise and attack Saul. And we see in this verse that Saul left the cave oblivious to the drama that went on near him in the cave. Now let's go on and look at verses 8, 8 through 15 in 1 Samuel 24. So David came out and shouted after him, My lord the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, and that he really was his father-in-law, Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. So this passage captures David's words to Saul after David spoke to him from the rear after they came out of the cave. David would not harm Saul. David respected Saul as the Lord's anointed, and David used restraint. The tone of David's response was respectful, humble, and honest. Let's go on and look at verses 16 through 22. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, you are a better man than I, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you surely are going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. 
Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this this to Saul with an oath. Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. So David was honest, and Saul, in his response to David, was honest. He realized that David could have taken his life, but he didn't. Furthermore, David showed respect and loyalty for Saul. Saul acknowledged also, as you noticed, that David would be king after him, and David uh, Saul requested that David not kill his descendants. And David swore to him that he would not. So the two men left the cave and went in separate ways. But let's follow up on some important items from this passage. First of all, what went on in the cave between David and the Lord? Before we get to David and Saul. Remember, when David composed the psalm, Psalm 57, he was anxious and afraid. David poured out his heart. He reminded himself about God's goodness and his faithfulness. David was honest with the Lord about how he felt. He didn't complain, and he didn't feel sorry for himself. And I believe this should challenge us to praise God when we face difficult circumstances. So what could have gone differently in the cave? Well, David could have removed the Saul threat once and for all by assassination, but he didn't. Instead, he used restraint. And David knew that the kingdom had been given to him but he also knew that it would come to him at the, at the time appointed by the Lord. God did not tell David to assassinate Saul. Instead, he was to wait patiently for the time when the Lord would establish him on the throne. God would take vengeance on Saul's life at the right time. Well, Let me ask you this. Are there times and people from your past, you and me, that you would like to give a piece of your mind to? That you would like to let them have it? Please don't answer that question out loud. Just to yourself. Has someone or someone's done you wrong? treated you unfairly, or made you mad. Rather than bristling and being defensive, you and I can ask God for restraint, like the restraint that God gave David. The New Testament also calls restraint self-control. You ever heard of that? By the way, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5. 
self-control. And what else about this situation? Deuteronomy 32 verse 35 says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. You and I would like to lower the boom. Let them have it. Give them a piece of my mind. But God is full of perfect justice. He is. If it seems like someone is getting away with something, they're not. God has a very good memory. And ultimately, he will not let them get away with what they did. Remember that. And here's another thought about the cave, things that could have gone differently. David could have made it happen. You heard that phrase before? I, I, you need to make it happen. He could have taken things into his own hands. Do you and I try to rush things? Do we try to make things happen prematurely before the time is right? Have you ever eaten hamburgers that were undercooked and didn't taste right? Have you? You can, raise, you can acknowledge that you have. They just don't cut it a few minutes short. Or have you had bacon and eggs that were taken out of the skillet too soon and they weren't cooked enough yet? Being in a big hurry is not always the best solution. So two leaders went into the cave. Two leaders came out of the cave. David had an encounter with God while he was in the cave. He came out a humble man, and he gave Saul an honest response. And I believe the way David acted had an influence on Saul's response to David. Well, how does this affect you and me? If you have a, quote, discussion with your spouse or your brother, sister, cousin, or neighbor, your tone of voice has an impact on how they respond. Have you noticed that? If you accuse and act upset and belligerent, then the other person will probably act the same way back to you. Have you noticed that? Or is it just me? So let's talk more about restraint and self-control. Just because David could have killed Saul in the cave doesn't mean he should have. David would not hurt Saul, and he would not permit his men to kill Saul or Saul's men. He left the timing in God's hands about the when that he would become king. You and I also can use self-control. So let's talk more about what wilderness and caves represent. Have you recently, and I'm, don't answer out loud, don't raise your hand, this is between you and yourself and your heart. 
But have you recently, or are you now, going through a wilderness or cave experience? If you were like me, you've had many, many wilderness experiences over the years, probably too many to count. But are you facing a cave or a wilderness where you felt abandoned by someone? Where you felt very anxious about something? Where you felt that you had no friends? Where you were depressed about something? Where you were afraid? Where you lost your job? Or where you felt like you were being treated unfairly? Or you've had, you had a marriage breakup or another significant relationship breakup. Or you had no money, but you had a pile of bills. Or your car broke down again and the repair is expensive. Anybody ever been there? Or... Your health it was or is failing. Or you are fighting cancer or recently fought it. Or you are overcome with grief and the loss of a loved one. Or you often feel sorry for yourself. Or you are a trying to avoid God? Or are you stuck in an emotional rut and don't want to get out of it and really don't want to come out of the cave? Or you may put on a good face, say the right words in public and at church, but you are still convinced in your heart, that God forgot about you or doesn't care about you. By the way, I want to talk to you today. I and I'm, I just mean right now. I challenge you, if any of those items bumped up, up against where your thoughts are, where your feelings are right now, I challenge you to let go of that thinking and please give God another try. Please begin to think about Psalm 57 and the way David expressed his heart to the Lord when he was surrounded. Jesus wants to meet you and me in the cave and he wants to change us. He wants to stir a psalm of praise in our hearts. You and I can praise God in the middle of whatever we are facing. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The emphasis is on in all circumstances and not for all circumstances. Plus, 
Jesus wants you and me to come out of the cave, those kinds of caves that I just listed. Come out of the cave. Come into the light. Let your eyes adjust to the light. Open your heart to God's love. Come and let the Holy Spirit change you, renew you, recharge you. Let the words of David in this psalm challenge you and be on your lips. I challenge you today, whatever you're facing. But you, you who may be here also may be facing another kind of cave today. You may not have received Jesus Christ into your life. You realize that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If that is you, I invite you today to open your heart, to invite him in, confess and repent of your sins, and receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. He wants to make you brand new today. And I also invite you to come and talk to me after the service, if that's you. But I'm asking all of us, I'm asking everyone in this room to respond in one way or another to the Lord today. If you would like to come up to the front of the sanctuary to kneel and pray, or if you want to respond to the Lord right where you are in your seat, please do. Don't let this pass by. Do business with God. And if, if the Lord has used this message to touch your heart in some way about caves that you are facing, come out of the cave today. Let it go. Let it go. Walk into the light. Respond to the Lord and get things right with Him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, please. And to lead us in a song of response. And I'm going to ask you where you are. Just Would you stand with me, please? With your focus today on how has the Lord prompted me in this message? Has he challenged me to respond? Is there a cave in my life? that I've been holding back, holding on to? Have I gotten too used to this cave? Do I need to let go of it? Am I looking at God in a way where I need to change the way I'm looking at God? Rather than being one who forgot about me, he loves me. He's for me. He's with me. So worship team, would you lead us, please?